Good morning. Welcome to all you folks across the street, the video venue, and those joining us online. I don't know how long Mount Pleasant Christian Church has been setting aside the weekend before the 4th of July for a special patriotic emphasis and celebration because the church was already doing that when I moved here almost 15 years ago. I came here in November of 2001, and the church was already doing that, so my first experience was the following June, the end of June 2002. And some of you who have been around a long time, I'm not trying to say you're old, but some of you old-timers can remember that back in those days, we would turn the entire weekend over to the worship and arts ministry, and they would put together some kind of a patriotic musical or pageant. And I remember the first one that I was a part of or that I got to see back in 2002. is very moving. Over the years, we've done different things just to try to keep it fresh. And even though there's been a trend in the church in recent years to kind of shy away from a patriotic emphasis, we have always remained unapologetic and unashamed about being proud to be Americans and loving our country. This year, it just felt like we needed to do something really different. I don't know that I've ever seen a time in my life when there was more division, more anger, more anxiety, more fear, and less civility in our country when it came to our public policies, when it came to our elected officials, and when it came to the future. And so I felt like we needed to spend some time on this weekend in prayer. So our service is very different today than normal. If you're a first-time guest, we're so glad you're here, but would hope that you would come back and visit us on a normal weekend where you can get a little bit of a normal feel for the way our services go. And I know, obviously, because it's a holiday weekend, we've got a lot of folks who are gone. But I don't really care too much today about being polished or being clever or being quotable or anything like that. I just care about being simple and clear. And so we're just going to take three passages of Scripture, and we're going to create a prayer time around those passages. First of all, a kind of a quiet, personal, silent prayer time, followed by a public prayer time, and we'll move through them very quickly. The first one is really a verse that we've already heard. Brian quoted it. That last song we sang was based on the verse, 2 Chronicles, Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14. I was a little hesitant to use this verse at first, although I've always loved it, just because I want to make sure that we understand its context clearly. When it comes to reading and studying the Bible, context means everything. You can't just pull verses that you like from anywhere in the Bible and make them apply or mean whatever you want them to mean. And so, I want to make sure that we understand this because oftentimes this verse is used like some kind of a magic formula for spiritual revival, and oftentimes it's used in the context of America. Actually, these words were spoken by God to Solomon, to King Solomon, with a view of the nation of Israel. And uh, they had a very specific purpose. And the book of Second Chronicles, in the first several chapters, we read about the building of the temple. Solomon wanted to build a temple for God, and so we read about the building of that temple in chapters two, verse, or through verse, uh, chapters five, rather. And then in chapter six, the temple is completed. Chapter seven, the temple is dedicated. And in chapter seven, God speaks directly to Solomon. That's the context of these words. 
He speaks directly to Solomon. Let me just read the passage to you, but I'm going to back up and I'm going to flow into it from verse 11. We'll put verse 14 up on the screen, but just listen from 2 Chronicles 7, 11 through 14. When Solomon had finished the temple of the Lord and the royal palace and had succeeded in carrying out all he had in mind to do in the temple of the Lord and in his own palace, the Lord appeared to him at night and said, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a temple for sacrifice. And then here's the specific message. He said, when I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command locusts to to devour the land or send a plague among my people, here's the verse, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. So, words spoken directly to Solomon with a view to Israel, that's the context. But at the same time, and here's why I love this passage and why I chose it, I believe verse 14 teaches us some important truths about who God is and what God wants, who God is and what God wants, and that's why we're going to look at this verse. The first thing it teaches us is it teaches us about the tremendous love, mercy, and graciousness of God. If you know anything about the Old Testament and God's relationship with the children of Israel, His people, you know that by this time, God has been nothing but faithful to them over and over and over again, and in return, they've been nothing but sinful and rebellious to Him. And so, by the time you get to Second Chronicles, God could have easily said, enough. I'm tired of dealing with your rebellion. I'm tired of dealing with your sin. I'm tired of giving you and promising you everything, providing for you, only to have you show a total lack of respect and concern and care and love and obedience to me, but he didn't do it because how many of you know God is a God of second chances and third and fourth and fifth? He's a a loving, merciful, gracious God. If you're here this morning and you're worried that maybe you have gone too far and God is not going to forgive you for whatever you've done, don't, don't let that cross your mind a single moment longer. God is a God of love and mercy and grace, forgiveness. This verse also teaches us that God wants communion with His people. He wants communion with His people. We were created so that we could live in fellowship with God. Even though the people of Israel, the children of Israel have been so sinful and rebellious, He still wants to have a relationship with them. And then the third thing it teaches us is that when things go south in our lives or maybe our families or our country, when things are not going the way that they should, primarily because of our own issues, Here's what God wants us to do. He wants us to humble ourselves, to pray, to seek His face, and turn from our wickedness, turn from our sin. That Bible calls that repentance. And that's really what I want this first prayer time to be about, just the honest recognition of our own shortcomings, our own weaknesses, our own failures, and our own sin. I'm not trying to be harsh. I'm not trying to beat anybody up. I just believe that that's needed when we pray because intimacy with God begins with honesty and openness. You know, there's a popular method of praying that's been around for a long time. I'm sure you're familiar with it. It's to take the word acts, A-C-T-S, and use it as an acrostic where each letter stands for a different thing. So A is adoration, C is confession, T is thanksgiving, and S is supplication. Supplication is just a word that describes asking for something, requests. 
Uh, it's a great model for prayer, but it's not something that you have to do. I, I like it, though. I think every prayer should begin with the recognition of the holiness of God, the majesty of God, with praise for God, honor to God. And then I really like the fact that right after that comes the reality of confession, because I think confession really needs to be a part of our prayers. Again, because if we want to have intimacy with God, we want to have a close personal relationship with God, then we have to be honest and open with God and sometimes when we're not honest and open with God, especially about our own sin, then it blocks the prayer channel between us and God. In fact, look at this verse on the screen. These are words from David in Psalm 66 and verse 18. David said, if I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. The idea there is the Lord would not have heard my prayers. The word cherished in the Old Testament Hebrew language is a word that means hidden or concealed. It's the idea of if I, if I had sin in my, in my life, in my heart that I didn't want to talk about, that I wanted to cover up, that I wanted to act like wasn't there, and that was the reality. God, who knows everything, would know that, and He would not listen to and hear my prayers because of that. We need to be honest and open about the reality of our lives when we pray. Confession needs to be a part of our prayer. Sometimes I have a hard time praying. Am I the only one here? I imagine that all of us can relate to that on some level. It's not that I have a hard time finding a place to pray or finding time to pray or anything like that. Sometimes I have a hard time knowing what to pray. Sometimes uh, the burden of my life or the anguish of my heart or the anxiety of my life or any number of things like that can be so real and so strong that I have a hard time actually finding words to say. I mean, getting the emotion out into words, expressing what I'm feeling or what I'm afraid of or what I'm anxious about in real words to God. You been there? The comforting thing is that God knows that's the truth about all of our lives, and so He gave us a promise related to that in Romans chapter 8. We'll put the words up on the screen. Romans chapter 8 and verse 26, Paul is writing here, and he says, in the same way the Spirit, notice that's capital S, we're talking about the Holy Spirit here, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And so sometimes we just have to rely on the Spirit. When I'm in those moments in my life, I always find a way or make sure that I find the time to say these three things. I always pray this. I say, God, I love you. I'm sorry. Help me. And then I trust the Holy Spirit to fill in the blanks. I love you. I'm sorry. Help me. But I never leave out those words, I'm sorry. Because if I want to have intimacy with God, I got to be honest about my life. One of my favorite parts of the Old Testament is the great story of how Nehemiah led the effort to rebuild the broken down walls of the city of Jerusalem. They were broken down after the Babylonian captivity. When he heard about that, uh, Nehemiah chapter 1 says that he wept and he mourned and he fasted for several days, and then afterwards he prayed. And when he prayed, this is what he said. Listen to Nehemiah chapter 1, beginning in verse 5. He said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and obey his commands, let your ear be attentive and your eyes be open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. Now note this part. He says, 
I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's house, have committed against you. When there was a national need in Judah related to the city of Jerusalem, Nehemiah, now listen to me, even though he was living in Babylon as a captive at the time, prayed and said, I confess the sins we, including my father's house and myself, have committed against you. I think if we want to pray for America, we need to begin by being honest about our own lives. Because if you want intimacy with God, we want God to hear our prayers and respond, then we need to be honest. So we're going to bow our heads together right now, all of us, in a time of silent prayer, and you pray how you feel led related to your life and this great need that's in front of us, this national need that's in front of us. Let's just pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this chance to pray. Thank you for this chance to just be open and honest with you about the reality of our own lives, confessing our need, confessing our weakness, confessing our sin, asking for your help, your strength, your forgiveness. I'm not trying, as I said, to be harsh. I'm not trying to beat down anybody or, or, or say that as believers we need some, some broken down spiritual perspective and low spiritual self-esteem I'm just saying if we want you to respond we want the blessing and the benefit of closeness to you and intimacy with you related to any prayer request or any need we need to begin with honesty and so we confess the weaknesses in our lives we confess the sin in our lives we confess the times when we haven't been the light of the world like we've been instructed to be we haven't been the salt the seasoning salt in the culture around us that we've been instructed to be and we haven't shared the message of Christ like we've been instructed to share we haven't been living testimonies to your grace and your mercy and your forgiveness and your change we confess the times when we've put the pursuit of pleasure over the pursuit of you. We confess the times when we've put worship as a lesser priority 
because we've got too many other things that are crowding our lives. We confess the times when we have given into the lure of lesser things instead of the strengthening of our relationship and our knowledge of who you are and your will for our lives that's recorded in your word. We ask for your forgiveness, our lives, our families, our churches, and our country. And we pray for healing. In Jesus' name, amen. you to stand and lift this with us. Christ is enough for us. Sing this today. Christ is my reward. Oh, and Christ is my reward and all of my devotion. And now there's nothing in this world that could ever satisfy every trial and through every trial my soul will sing no turning back I've been set free
again. First Timothy chapter 2 verses 1 through 4 is the next passage that I wanted to build a time of prayer around. Under the heading instruction for worship, Paul writes to Timothy and says, I urge then, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good. And pleases God our Savior who wants all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. We'll stop right there. Again, in the pursuit of just being simple and clear, this passage teaches or reminds us of some important truths. The first one is the most obvious, and that's that we need to be people of prayer. And we need to pray for everyone. It says, I urge then, first of all, first of all, that request prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone. Those three words prayers, uh, requests, prayers, and intercession. If you look those up in the original language of the New Testament, they're virtually the same word, just subtle shades of difference for the meaning of each one of them. It's the repetition that means the most to us in this passage because it emphasizes the importance of prayer. Oftentimes, we're people who take matters in our own hands. Paul says we need to be people who pray. Second thing is, he says, we need to expand the focus of our prayers. That really jumped out to me in simplicity this week because I thought about my own prayer life. And, you know, I don't just pray for myself when I pray. I pray for my family, my physical family. I pray for my spiritual family, my church, and people I know. But I usually just pray for people in the network of my life. How about you? I don't usually pray for people beyond that, people that I don't know, at least not very often. But what I found really interesting is that in the midst of all of this, in the midst of Paul saying that we need to pray for everyone, he is careful to single out some specific people, and the people that he singles out are kings and all those in authority. Kings and all those in authority. Why do you think he did that? Remember, every single word of the Bible is written under the direct inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So why would the Holy Spirit inspire Paul to make sure that in the midst of saying we need to pray for everyone, he specifically mentions kings and all those in authority? I don't know if this is right or not, but here's what I think. I think oftentimes because those people represent folks that we don't often always like. And how often do you spend time praying for somebody that you don't like? Can I be honest and say that I don't like all of the people who govern us in our country today? Person on a personal level, I don't care for all of them. I don't. And sometimes when you don't like somebody, you don't care for somebody, you're not really inclined to pray for them. And so I think that's probably why Paul says, pray for everyone, and he makes sure that he singles out kings and all those in authority. Because sometimes even in the setting, in the context of Paul writing these words, they can be... 
not just people that you don't like, they can be despicable people. That would have been the context in which Paul was writing. And then finally, he just gives us this reminder that one of the ultimate practical in-the-moment results of salvation, because really, you can't read this passage and not see that ultimately what Paul is doing is he's saying, pray for everyone's salvation. He's saying that one of the practical in-the-moment results of salvation is that we can live peaceful, quiet lives in all godliness and holiness, which is something that we should all aspire to. And so here's what this all reminds me of. I think there are times in our lives as believers, and that's individually and times in our lives collectively as the church, believers collectively as the church, when we lose sight of what our real mission in this world is, and our real mission in this world is to live out and share the good news about Jesus to all men everywhere so that their lives can be changed. That's what we're called to do. Make disciples would be another way to say it. And we get off track sometimes, well-intentioned sometimes, oftentimes, even maybe most of the time, but we get off track, especially in political seasons like the one we're in now when we're thinking about our country as a whole and we think that it's the pursuit of a party or the pursuit of a candidate or the pursuit of a specific decision on a specific issue that's going to be the answer when the answer has always been and will always be Jesus because only Jesus can change somebody's life and somebody's heart. And so that's, that should just inspire us. And the, the greater the adversity, the greater the division, the greater the problems, the greater the anxiety in our country, in our culture, the more inspired we should be to do, one, to do one thing and one thing only, and that is to live out and share the good news of Jesus with as many people as possible because only Jesus can change somebody's heart. Now, I think we need to be involved in the political process. We need to do our part. You've heard me say that before. I think that you should vote. I think that you should be an informed voter. I think you should, invoke, you should vote your spiritual, biblical convictions. I think if you feel called and you have the opportunity and influence, you should work and volunteer and do all of those things. Uh, but the answer to the problems of the day are not found in a political party or any candidate. They're found in Jesus. And we need to share, we need to live out and share the message of Jesus. So let's pray together. Let's, let's pray for that. Let's pray uh, together for uh, the opportunity and influence to live out and share that message. Let's pray for people's salvation. Let's pray for the salvation of the people that are in the, the public I right now related to this election season, let's pray for Jesus to change lives and change hearts.
Father, thank you again for the opportunity to bow together and pray. And I know that you have heard and are hearing the prayers, the silent, sincere, heartfelt prayers of the believers in this place, those that are in the video venue and those that are joining us online. We thank you for that. Thank you that we can know that you hear and answer our prayers. And God, we just, we pray that we would not lose sight as individual believers or collectively as the church, we would not lose sight of the ultimate calling we have in this world. And that is, as I said, to live out and share the good news of Jesus, that Jesus can change anyone's life. And as important as it is for us to be informed and involved citizens, we have a higher calling than that. Because the Bible says this world is not our home. Paul says in Philippians that our citizenship is in heaven. And so our loyalty is to you as a king and the experience of our lives and the calling of our lives directs us to be witnesses, to be messengers, to be missionaries right where we live, right where we are, and help us to embrace that. We thank you for those who are in political office today who have a sincere faith in Christ and who let that faith guide and direct them. We pray that you would give them strength and courage and vigilance for the days to come. And we pray, Father, for those who are in the public eye, who are in office or running for office, who don't have a personal relationship with you through faith in Christ. They certainly fall into the instruction that Paul gave Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 2 to pray for everyone, especially kings and those in authority. And we pray that somehow, some way, through some influence, that your spirit will convict their hearts, get their attention, convict them of their great need, and lead them to surrender to Christ, who is the answer for the needs of the day. In his name we pray, amen. Your power with precious blood. 
real quickly just one single verse Psalm 33 and verse 12 says blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord the people he chooses or chose rather for his inheritance and again we need to understand in the context of the book of Psalms this is a verse related to the nation of Israel but it reflects a principle that's true for individuals for families for churches for countries and that is anybody who serves God, anybody who surrenders to God and makes God the Lord of their life is going to experience the blessing of God 
in their life. Now, that doesn't mean our life will be perfect, but it means that even in the most imperfect times that we're not alone, that He's with us, that He carries us, He covers us, He sustains us. But it only happens to those who surrender to Him. That's the only way. I want to experience the blessing of God in my life. I want to experience the blessing of God in my family. I want to experience the blessing of God in my church, and I certainly want to experience the blessing of God in the country that I live in, but it won't happen apart from complete, complete, absolute surrender, making God Lord of all. That's the instruction of the Scripture. You know, because of my age and because I grew up in church my whole life, there are some old hymns of faith that I've always loved, and one of them, and some of you who are old enough will recognize this, is the hymn, Come Thou Almighty King. Nobody knows for sure who wrote the hymn. Some think it was George Whitfield. Some think it was Charles Wesley. It doesn't really matter much. But in research this past week, this is so interesting, I read in a 1926 edition of a junior hymnal with song stories that was published by Standard Publishing Company, a story about this particular hymn that reveals a little bit of its history and shows that it has kind of a patriotic connection. The book tells a story about a time in our country's history that was very difficult. We were fighting and struggling for our independence from the tyranny of England and King George. The crisis was intense and people struggled underneath that. There were a group of believers, the story said, that lived in Long Island, somewhere in Long Island, and they gathered together for worship in their church. Now, in that period of time, the country of England had a national song that was called God Save the King, and it was sung to the familiar tune of My Country, Tis of Thee. And this is the first verse. It said, God save our gracious king, talking about King George now. Long live our noble king, God save the king. Send him victorious, happy and glorious, long to reign over us, God save the king. Well, when this group of patriotic believers were worshiping with deep angst and anxiety and uncertainty in their hearts... The story says that a company of British soldiers showed up in their church and the commander had the soldiers march up and down the aisle creating a very frightening and a very threatening situation. And then the commander went to the front of the church and he ordered the congregation there to sing the national hymn of England, God Save the King. And so the organist began to play the tune that everybody knew for sure. Remember, it was to the tune of my, tune of my country, Tis of Thee. But instead of singing the words to God save the king, these are the words that the worshipers sang that day. Come thou almighty king, help us thy name to sing, help us to praise. Father all glorious, o'er all victorious, come and reign over us, ancient of days. And the story says that the commander and the soldiers were so taken back by the deep spirituality and the earnest worship of those believers, their devotion to God, that they just left the church without any further threats or intimidation. Now, I want to be completely honest today and say that the story in the book that I read doesn't give any specific dates, doesn't name the church, so it's really hard to verify that all the details were absolutely correct, but it's plausible to me because it's consistent with similar records of history at that same period of time. In my research, I ran across this note that was sent to England by a crown-appointed British governor who was in America 
He wrote back to England complaining, if you ask an American who is his master, he'll tell you he has none and he has no governor but Jesus Christ. The motto of the American Revolution that was directed against, in particular, against King George III was no king but King Jesus. I really can't help but believe at the end of the day that the best thing that could happen in our country is a simple return to the fundamental pursuit and worship of God as King over all. Absolute surrender to His authority. Absolute, complete acknowledgement and surrender to the authority of God. Let's just pray that together this morning. Father, we love you so much and we thank you for God. We thank you, or excuse me, we thank you, God, for who you are as the, the creator, the sustainer of all things. We thank you that you are the loving, gracious, merciful Father who seeks a relationship with us, who desires intimacy with us, personal relationship with us. And Father, help us today. In the name of Christ, we pray you help us today to just understand the importance and the value of seeking you above all else, all else, even though the, the, our enemy, the devil, the world that we live in, the flesh that we live in pulls us in so many directions and tries to distract us, help us to surrender in complete, total, and humble worship, adoration, service to you in all things at all times, in all ways. And I pray, Father, that as we do that in our individual lives, as we do that in our families, as we do that as a church, that it will spark revival because nothing's impossible with you. We pray for your blessing that comes with surrender. We pray that in Jesus' name.